kicks. A great save from James. A great double save. Offers in this interview have now ended and are no longer available. Hi, David James here. Join me for my Behind the Bet live stream coming up on Friday, March the 4th at 3pm GMT, right here on sportsbet.io. Hello to all Club Talk users at sportsbet.io and welcome to Behind the Bet, where you get to ask your questions to our very special guest today. My name is Gavin from Clubhouse Radio. Regarding today's Behind the Bet, you can still ask your questions on sportsbet.io and on the live stream. If you, if I ask your question, and I'll try and ask as many as I possibly can, you will each win a 0.1 millibitcoin free bet. If your question is just to be the very best, you will win a huge 0.5 millibitcoin free bet. So get those questions in and our guest today and i'll introduce our guest right now is fifth as you saw on the montage there fifth on the list of all-time premier league appearances having played 572 games in the premier league and he is second on that list of the most ever clean sheets ever kept in the premier league he has played for both liverpool and Manchester City, amongst others, and represented England 53 times. Please welcome David James. Hi, Gav. How are you Hi, doing? You're right. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, and hello to everybody who's watching. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in good place at the moment. Thank you, Gav. Jolly good. Jolly good. Uh, you, um, you appeared on a fairly highbrow quiz game in the UK earlier this year called Celebrity Mastermind, uh, where you have to go on and nominate your specialist subject. Well, Specialist subject this time around is going to be you. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, that you are fifth on the list of the most appearances in the Premier League. Do you have any idea who's ahead of you on that list? Uh, Ryan Giggs, Gareth Barry. Um, yeah. Two more. Oh, wow. Do you know what? I should know this, shouldn't I? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if James Milner hasn't made it yet, has he? Yeah, he has. He yeah. took me. But he's still I, going. I don't know who the other one is. Oh, um, just returned to management in the Premier League. No, Steve, Frank. What? Oh, Frank, of course. Frank Lampard, yeah. Frank, of course. Uh, yeah. Gav Barry, Ryan Giggs, Frank Lampard, and James Milner, who's still playing, still going strong. Awesome. Uh, so, especially subject is you. I'm just going to bring a couple of dates your way to see if you kind of remember what happened on these dates, okay? Now, we are closely connected in a couple of ways, okay, of which you have no idea. But the first one is the 15th of May. 2005 15th of may by the way is my birthday i want you to remember that so 15th of may 2005 what happened to you on that day that is quite unique in the world of football and premier league 2005 Mm. oh that's that's not the time that i went up front for man city last game of the season is that your final answer that's my final answer that's the correct answer. Oh, let's, yeah. talk, let's talk <laughs> about how mad that is, okay? Because in the world of football, you see a lot of things, and some of it is fairly unusual, but this is the most unusual of the lot. So to paint the picture, Man City at home to Middlesbrough, and you both have to win, basically, to qualify um, for the UEFA Cup. Mm-hmm. Now, you're in goal, and Stuart Pearce is your manager, yeah. and at the end of the game, with some minutes to go, he brings on your... Reserve goalkeeper, who is 
Mickey Weaver. Mickey Weaver. The legend. So generally, generally when a sub-goalkeeper comes on, that means the number one goalkeeper's coming off, but not you. <laughs> Talk to me about this. Stuart Pearce decided to play you up front. Come on. Right, yeah. So the, the, the a quick sort of backstory to it. We were tied with Middlesbrough on um, goal difference. So essentially we had to win. Middlesbrough didn't, uh, just not needed to lose. So... Um, one all Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank first half with a 35-yard two-step run-up free kick, which was ridiculously good. It's superb, um, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, move on. That was a bad moment. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think we equalised. And yeah, half-time, the kit man said to me, I've got your shirt ready. And I said to him, what are you on about? And he said, you know, I've done your shirt. And I'm like, don't even worry about it. Forget about it. I, did, I didn't know what he was. I had an inkling, but I didn't think about it. And during the game, I th- I thought it was about 20 minutes to go, but apparently it was a few minutes to go. Um, the board went up, Nicky Weaver was stood there, and I was thinking, why am I coming off? And by the time I got there, I realised that Nicky was going to take my place. Uh, I think Claudio Reina had been substituted, and they had my shirt. Uh, the only number one outfield shirt in Premier League history, as far as I'm aware. And um, what seemed like 20 minutes was only a few minutes. and it was it was chaos. It was chaos. Um, I might even hold the record for the most fouls in the shortest period of time. For, <laughs> you gave away a couple of beauties, I have to say. Oh, I, I was I was taking out two players at a time. It was um, yeah, and we drew. And Robbie Fowler. The irony of this: Robbie Fowler missed a, a late, late, late penalty, which would have seen us through. Um, but in the end, we drew one off. Yeah, because the ball into the box that was the handball that led to the penalty was actually meant for you at the back post because you were loitering with intent at the back post. I was there. I was yeah. ready. Hey. <laughs> um, so this this was not spoken about beforehand. I, I thought this was something that you and then their manager, Stuart Pearce, was talking about. Like, this is a, a tactic, just throw right. me up front gas, gaffer and whatever. But it was a, a surprise to you. I'll put it this way, Gab. It, had I known about it the day before, then I would have... Stayed out training an extra half an hour, an extra hour. I'd practiced my touch, practiced my passing, done all the things that an outfield player would normally do, um, just in case it happened. But I knew nothing about it. And uh, the reason that half the Middlesbrough team were fouled <laughs> was because my touch wasn't great. Um, and, yeah, my volleying wasn't particularly – I mean, there, there was a lot of not-so-good form in there. There was I won every header, which was important. Um, but had I had an inkling that I was going to be involved, then I would have even talked to some of the teammates and said, look, if I get in this position, I'm going to do this. And some some kind of really, really um, basic tactics and uh, conversation. But it was literally off the cuff. Um, yeah. yeah. And so close as well. Yeah. Uh, I could talk about that all day long, but I'm going to move on to another date, which was the 16th of August, 1992. Now, this 16th- is also... The sixteenth of August, nineteen ninety-two, which is also a fairly historic game in terms of televised football and and the Premier League. This this was the game changer, absolute game changer. That was the first televised, uh, live televised Premier League match, Nottingham Forest versus Liverpool. Um, unfortunately, we lost one nil. Uh, Teddy Sheringham bending it into the top left-hand corner as I was in goal. Um, yeah. But again, little did we know that what what we were going to be sort of observing now thirty years later. So uh, momentous day in the in the world of uh, English football, world football, whatever. 
Um, the, yeah, because that was your debut for Liverpool as well. I will yep. say in the first half, you pulled out a tremendous triple save. If anybody watches the highlights of that game, you pulled out a tremendous triple save in the first half from two shots from Nigel Clough. It was one shot, two shot, three shots. You saved a lot. But do you remember the Roy Keane incident in the second half? Oh, no. It's the most stonewall penalty I've ever seen a goalkeeper give away. And the referee didn't give it for a die for Roy Keane. And he was absolutely livid. And if you watch it, it's hilarious because you absolutely nail Roy Keane. He's through on goal. He goes round here. You take him out. The referee goes, no, he died. And the game goes on. And the commentary team are in hysterics because it's one of the most stonewall penalties ever oh. in the Premier League televised. And it's the first game. You can't remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah, thanks for bringing that. I'll have to. I'll have to have a look now. Um, look I can't remember giving away. Yeah, I'm sure he dived. <laughs> I'm sure he dived. <laughs> That's what the referee thought. So, uh, so you, 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 you know, you played. You, you played your part in some very momentous games and incidents in the Premier League as well. So, you've had a. a can I chuck another one in? in? Can, you can, can do very quickly. One? Yeah, oh, very quickly. The record amount of goals in the Premier League is eleven, which was Portsmouth seven, Reading four. Played yes. in that game as well, and saved the penalty. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a cracking eleven, isn't it? Eleven is the total. Yeah. No. What you like as a goalkeeper coming off that? Because you you won that game, but what was it like in the dressing room having been involved in such a game like that? Angry, very is angry. It? Yeah, yeah. It should have been seven three, and then the the last goal was poor. I gave away a poor goal to make it two. Oh yeah, it wasn't a good game. <laughs> te te um, technically, it wasn't a great game, even though I did save the penalty. But in the end, you'd look at it and go, "Wow, we've just done something that no one else has ever done before." So. Uh, yeah. I just want to go back to the Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank goal as well that he scored against your middle spirit. Are there, you know, as a goalkeeper, are there certain times where someone scored an absolute beautiful free kick and you have to concede and go, yeah, that, that that's fair play through a grimace teeth? Because that was a belting free kick. Do you do that as a goalkeeper? Well, the thing with Jimmy Floyd, I'd played against him on a couple of occasions prior to that where he'd had free kicks and I knew he could smash it. And I also knew he could smash it over the wall. So I started to go just in case, but it was the, obviously the wrong thing to do because of the amount of power. Um, there was a guy called Ronaldo. Uh, you might have seen that where he decided to hit one from 25 yards into the top right-hand corner. And yeah, it wasn't even worth diving. Brilliant. That's It's annoying. It's, it's, it's like, yeah. come on. Do me I, a can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do then, uh, all the viewers uh, to Behind the Bet here at sportsbet.io with the legend that is uh, David James, uh, we're going to ask your questions. I'll get through as many as I possibly can. Keep them coming through on the club talk. Uh, you can also ask your questions live. We'll get as many as we can. And uh, whoever does get their question asked to, uh, to David, if I ask your questions, you'll all win a 0.1 million Bitcoin free bet. So it's time to ask David. Right, I have no idea what's coming your way. So are you ready? Go on. Uh, this is a live question from Sojourner. So Liverpool supporter from India. Uh, you've been part of Kerala Blasters. What's unique about matches in India? Because that's where you finished your career and also where you took up management. So what is, what's unique about matches in India? Well, first of all, let me say uh, namaste or namaskaram to, uh, to, to, to Sojourner. Um, the unique, well... I have to say, for all my games, I played over a thousand professional games, and there was one game in particular where we were playing in Kerala Blasters, and the I think the attendance was somewhere near 60,000 people. And for an hour before the game, there were drum corps all around the the stadium in uh, in Kochi, 
they were making they're independently making their own uh, their own noise all the way through the game there was noise and after the game there was noise i have never played in a football match as loud as i did in kochi um the the semi final against chennai in the playoffs i think there were 70,000 people there the just absolutely fantastically crazy um Kochi is, and I, I mean, I wear yellow because I, I, I love, I love my time for uh, for Kerala Blasters. So you know, I, um, I think it was a unique experience. I mean, they change the stadium slightly, but you, you just can't beat it when you've got that many passionate fans um, across the world. Fans are passionate. Don't get me wrong, but that was uh, that was a unique experience. And what was that like moving from player to management over there as well? How did how did you take to that? Well, that, that first spell I was there, 2014, I was player manager. So I essentially started playing and trying to do the management. I, I found that difficult as a player manager and then ended up doing the playing bit during the game and sort of the management the rest of the time. Um, I took myself out of the team for, for a few games to allow me to just do the management. And we were having success that way, not because of me, but uh, we, we were having some success. Um, but the the transition was was difficult to start with. Um, the second time I went there, I was just purely doing the management and that was in, in some ways easier. Um, but the whole the whole environment had changed in Kerala. The, the stadium had changed. There was a lot of issues off the field in the local community because of flooding and stuff like that. So it was, it was a difficult time. Um, but I, I made the transition. I mean, I loved my, I loved my time. I didn't, wasn't so happy with the results, but a uh, wonderful place. And now that I think India sign will open up again, I've been looking forward to it's going back to Kochi. Back in India. Is, is it a yeah. place that you you, you, you miss and you, you will visit regularly? Is it a place that you, you go on holiday now? Because it seems like you've taken to the culture there as well. Yeah, yeah. Before um, before lockdown, I mean, I was going out there regularly to Mumbai, uh, predominantly to do television work. But um, yeah, to the opportunity just to travel around the country. I mean, I, I've got so many, we haven't got time for all my stories about India. They're not they're not football related necessarily. I mean, there might be a football link, but I just, I fell in love with the country. Absolutely fell in love with Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Uh, thank you, Sajona. You win a 0.1 million Bitcoin free bet. Uh, live question from Benji. Which of your former clubs <laughs> would you say you are? Oh, here's a question. Nail your colours to the mast. Which of your former clubs would you say you are a supporter of now? Okay. I uh, Great question, Benji. I, I struggle with the term supporter and fan. I have to say, fan being fanatical, knowing everything about the team and, uh, you know, the ins and outs of every player and his shoe sizes. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm a supporter of all my teams in the sense that I will always, you know, want them to uh, to win and speak positively about them. Um, Kerala Blasters, I've just mentioned, you know, one more game to go, victory, and they're in the playoffs. So I, I'm kind of keeping tracks on how they're getting on. They broke a record this year for the longest unbroken, uh, undefeated run in the club's history. Um, Manchester City, Liverpool, West Ham, a lot, because I do a lot of TV coverage for them. Um, I'm actually going, don't tell anyone, but I'm going to the Manchester derby uh, this weekend. Wonder who I'll be supporting there. <laughs> what, 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 give, us your, give us your score prediction. Oh, uh, predict, I'll go for 1-0 to, to City, but I'm hoping it'll be different. But uh, I mean, with regards to support, as I say, Portsmouth, uh, Luton Town, who is a team I used to support, I've got, I, I collect old shirts as well. So I've been going around sort of picking up old uh, old football shirts. I, yeah, so I'm, I'm a supporter of everyone. But okay. um, I, I've got sort of, uh, I know a lot more about a few of the clubs, shall I say. What is your favourite old shirt that you've got? Which club does it belong to? 
I picked up. Um, I haven't got it here. Uh, I picked. <laughs> I picked up a 1985 Luton Town uh, home kit, and okay. the, the the crazy thing about it is it doesn't fit me because there isn't one around that fits me. So I've had to, <laughs> I've bought a kid size. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's that's yeah. What was it like, by the way? Because I know you you're a, you you obviously supported Luton as a child, but you ended up playing for the rivals Watford. That's where you came through. Was that an easy move to make for you, or was that okay? I, I, I well, I started Tottenham when I was twelve. Um, I was there for a year. We played Watford in my only game for Tottenham, uh, sort of schoolboys. We lost six two, and uh, funnily enough, the week after joined Watford. So the the, the Luton bit didn't. I didn't have any time. I didn't even think Luton had a youth team back then. Hmm. Um, Went through the Watford ranks, but when I was when I was fourteen, fifteen, and I, I sign all these stories, right? So I, I the only reason I sign autographs is because when I was fifteen years old, I had a Luton scarf, and I got it signed by Luton players, and it was the first autograph I ever got. So when I became a professional and people wanted me to sign autographs, I thought, well, I asked for it, I can't say no. Um, and that day that I had the, the scarf, I was stood outside. Kenilworth Road and the Watford team bus went past. They just got knocked out of the FA Cup uh, on a second replay, I think. And Steve Sherwood, who was the goalkeeper for Watford, saw me and I'd been training with him that sort of week or two. And he just pointed a finger at me and I went, oh no, now they know I'm a Luton Town fan. Anyone who doesn't know, Luton and Watford have got a rivalry. Yeah, they have. They absolutely have. Thank you, Benji. Right, another question. Here we go. Uh, behind the bet with David James at sportsbet.io. Oh, here we go. Uh, live question from, this is just, I don't think this is a name. This is just a noise. An oomph, I think it is, we'll say. Uh, Henry or Burkamp? There's a question. Oh. Okay. Um, I don't know if Burkamp scored against me. Um, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm pretty sure if he did, it was just the odd goal. But Thierry Henry... He, him and Didier Drogba are the best centre forwards I've ever played against. Yeah, um, oh, they were ridiculous. So you, you'd go into a game and it was like, right, I'm going to do everything I can to stop these guys from scoring, and somehow they would find a way. Um, Thierry Henry, I played for Man City at, uh, I think it was the Emirates, and I think we lost three three something whatever and he scored a hat trick and i had one of my better games and uh the guys after the match said look you would have got man of the match but he scored a hat trick and i was thinking thanks cherry um he's hit one from the edge of the box and it as i'm about to say that it curled off into the top corner he was he was scary absolutely scary good um brilliant brilliant player you know, when you are in a dressing room uh, at a big ground, Old Trafford, uh, although in the FA Cup for Portsmouth, he kept a clean sheet uh, against Rinaldo and Wayne Rennick. Qu- uh, quiz question for you, by the way, just quickly. So Portsmouth won that game 1-0 on, you, on your way to winning the FA Cup. Do you remember who was in goal to face the Portsmouth penalty that day? Yes, Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand is the right answer. Yeah, hey, that game was crazy. If I can just say that game was crazy because even though we won one nil, I think we had two goal line clearances. Uh, they had um, Kuzak sent off in the eighty yep. sixth or eighty seventh minute. Um, yeah, Rio winning goal. <laughs> uh, Sully Montari, bang. See you yes. later. And just it, here's a bit of useless trivia for you. So in the FA Cup, we had six games in that FA Cup run. 
we won five of them 1-0 and 1-2-1. And the yeah. one we won 2-1 was our only home game. And that was against? Plymouth. And they took the lead, didn't they? They, they did. actually and it was de- deflected. Yeah. It was actually a deflection, so it didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. count. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you when you when you line up against the likes of Bergkamp or Army and you see their names on the team sheet, what do you think is the opposition goalkeeper? Do you just go on professional think no, we're okay, or do you literally go this this could be a tough game, this one? I think most of the time you go in thinking well, you think it's gonna be a tough game because of the quality, and obviously not not just because of them, because the team they were playing for were were particularly good as well. I mean, the Invincibles, we nearly... I, I tell you what, I'm going to bring up another Henri story. Uh, West Ham, the Invincibles, I'm not sure if it was the year that they actually did the Invincibles or the continuation of that um, unbeaten run. And we were drawing two all. Sorry, no, lose, winning 2-0. Cherry Henri from 25, 30 yards, absolutely leathered one in. Ended up drawing two all. And afterwards in, the, uh, uh, in his post-match interview, he said, yeah, I was angry. And I was like, come on, be angry and miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. Uh, thank you, Inth. Uh, another question to David James. Right, live question from Mr. Power. Hi, David, and thanks so much for doing this. You were a great goalkeeper, but what would you be in if you weren't a footballer? Uh, Mr. Power, that's a great question. Um, I think I, I, I do a lot of painting now. Uh, that's one of my paintings. Where is it behind me? Um, I do a lot of painting, so I'd, I'd like to think I'd have followed in my dad's footsteps, maybe, and been a, been an artist. Um, I was an athlete as well. I, I could have been a high jumper, um, or I think I would have gone into military service one way or the other because really? I liked. Yeah, I just liked order, so uh, I needed order. Put it that way. So I don't know. Um, I'm just very grateful that I had the opportunity to play football, and fortunately for so long as well. Yeah. Are you, obviously you're talented. I assume that's Jimi Hendrix behind. I can identify Mr. Hendrix behind you. It is um, Jimi Hendrix. So um, are you good at other sports? And he said high jumping. Are you one of those sports people who's very good at one sport, exquisite at football, of course, but you're also very good at other sports? I, as a kid, I, I represented every sports team at school. Um, high jump was one, one discipline in athletics. I mean, I loved athletics and uh, I was told that I could be Potentially, if I obviously went through the training, I could be uh, an international uh, or a national high jumper for the GB, um, possibly even break the English high jump record, things like that. So I was, I, I love breaking records. The school yeah. records board was always like a target for me, but football gave me an opportunity to uh, to get fed. And um, at 15 years old, it was either high jump or football apprenticeship and, and food every day. So I, I went for the food. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Power. 0.1 million Bitcoin free bet on the way to you. Right, live question from Hakan. Uh, I believe you played the game when it was at its peak in the 90s and the noughties. How has the game changed from your perspective comparing today with those days? Hakan 2217. That's an interesting question because in the 90s and noughties, it was a, fundamentally, it was a, it was different because of the, the, the infrastructure. I mean, football pitches were muddy. Um, training facilities weren't, they were state-of-the-art for the time, but they, they weren't anywhere near what they are now. Uh, the We look at video um, assistance, the VAR, you look at goal line technology, all of these things um, weren't in place when we were playing in the 90s. So it was a, a much rawer version of what you're seeing now. What we see now 
are ki- I say kids. I mean, uh, literally teenagers going up to sort of 21, 22 year olds who have been through a system where everything has been essentially perfect for them. Um, what we see technically is so much better. We're talking about Henri and, and Dennis Burkamp. I mean, these guys were elite players in their era. But if you look at what is available now, um, they wouldn't be as outstanding, I don't think, because technical ability of players at pretty much every level now is so much better than it was back in the 90s and the noughties. However, um, if you put these players on the pitches back in the 90s and noughties, you'd probably get a different outcome. So I don't think the, the uh, peak is, is subjective. Um, you know, I'm talking to you guys now because you all watch the game from around the world. Uh, the beginning and especially in the mid nineties, it was available in a lot of territories, but nowhere near where it is now. And uh, I just think that the the whole thing about football now is it's a different consumption, but um, also equally as as wonderful as the nineties and the noise. Because your career timed it perfectly with the birth of the Premier League, which is when (laughs) probably two years late. 92, 93, 94, 95, 96 is where footballers really became absolute megastars. You know, your David Beckhams, you had your David Ginellas, you had your Eric Cantonars as well. You were at Liverpool as well in the early 90s. What was that like being at a big club around the birth of the Premier League? And of course, you know, along with the likes of Steve McManaman, and Robbie Fowler and Jamie Radnap, you were named as, and I, I, you may hate this term, and I apologise if so, you do, I can tell. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Spice Boys. What was that like around that time? And was the tag of Spice Boys correct and fair in reflection or not? Well, first of all, I, I don't, I didn't fully appreciate... Um, how can I put this, the magnitude of the Premier League. I, I was just a player who went out, tried to win a game, um, did my training, and I, I kind of had my life, if that makes sense. It wasn't ever about anything beyond Liverpool Football Club. Um, the likes of David Beckham, uh, David Ginola, and whatever marketing teams they had, they were able to utilise their, their their stardom, if you like, and, and maximise it. I wasn't really interested in any of the off-the-field stuff. Um, I'm saying that with the caveat that obviously I did an Armani modelling campaign, but that was because they asked me to, not because I was looking for it. Um, the Spice Boys tag was interesting because I wasn't a Spice Boy when the Spice Boys were being called the Spice Boys. And it was I was too old. I was like Daddy Spice or something. And, I, <laughs> and at that time, I was, what, three years older than the other lads, maybe four years older. Um, I was sort of... Uh, put into the the Spice Boys later on after it all sort of died down. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, it was interesting. We, Liverpool as a football club, we had a very, um, I'm looking for a euphemistic term here. We had a very active social life, um, whereas Manchester United seemed to have a very um, strong private life. And I think that where Manchester United um, obviously succeeded, there was nothing to sort of pick them up on, whereas we like to be, I say we because I was part of it, in magazines and uh, on TV screens outside of football. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the way it was. But without it, i tell you what, uh, Gab, without it, um, I don't think we would have the the kind of celebrity aspects of football. So, uh, you know, you sometimes win from losing. Yeah, it, it's quite funny, actually, that you, you reference Liverpool and Man United because that obviously just very quickly brings me to the 1996 World Cup, which is remembered for, yes, the Cantona goal, you were in goal for Liverpool that day, but also what? What again? You know, they they donned black suits where Liverpool turned up in white suits, and that's cream been suits. About. Cream suits. Whose decision was that? 
Did you have any say in it? Yeah, well, I, I sort of referenced uh, Armani again. I mean, I we were going to wear, I think, a dark blue or a black suit, and we got the, the suit company in, and um, one of the lads said, "Jamo, can you ask Armani?" And I'm like, "All right, well, whatever." So I phoned up the the, the agency. They said uh, they got back to me late, and they said, "Look, we'll do it for you, but we'll charge you." And I was thinking, "There's no way that the lads are going to pay for a suit when they're getting one free." And they said, oh, no, no, it's fine. We'll pay for it. And uh, I passed the reins over to John Barnes. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Uh, another question. Thank you, Hakan. Uh, question from 28 Ilhia. Uh, did you ever have an opportunity, with reference Luton Town, uh, did you ever, ever have an opportunity to sign with the club you supported, Luton Town, the Hatters? Oh, uh... Well, as I said, when I joined Watford, I, I, I very naively didn't think that Luton had a, a youth team. I mean, and again, to put things in context for a lot of listeners, uh, watchers now, sort of back in the 80s, um, youth teams were made up of some sort of full-time apprentices and mainly half of the team at least were, would have been schoolboys who came in, played a game on a Saturday, occasional training session. So I just thought Luton didn't have a team and uh, didn't think too much of it. But I would have I would have loved. And the reason I bought my Luton shirt was because I never bought a Luton shirt when I was a kid. Um, right. Used to go to a lot of games. But yeah, I mean, I, I knew the team. I I actually had the uh, they had a Luton Town record by the Baron Knights. Uh, and I knew all the words to that song. You're I'm laughing. Not, it's, it's sad. I will not. I was, I was thinking, honestly, the first question was, "How does that go?" But I don't think it's fair that I should ask how that goes unless you're willing and prepared. To... Um, we are Luton Town, you know. Our fans support us. Where we go, yeah, 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 something like that. That's enough. Enough. Did you ever? <laughs> did you ever play at Kenilworth Road? And if so, how many times? I played at Kenilworth Road once. I I, I kept. Um, a notebook. I was told to keep a notebook when I was a kid and I wrote down every single game. I was playing 160 games a year. Um, and one of the games was against Luton, but I didn't, I seem to remember playing half a game nearly for Luton, but I don't think I did. Uh, so one game at Kenilworth Road. That was it. That's it. That was it. Yeah. What was, was the it? score? schoolboy. <sighs> we won. Clean sheet. Daddy, that's all that matters, isn't it? <laughs> that's all that matters. Uh, another question. Uh, thank you, 28 Italy. Uh, question from Fury. Have you ever wanted to score, hello, as a goalkeeper? You had your chance against Middlesbrough in 2005, but have you ever wanted to score as a goalkeeper? Great question, Fury. Um, actually, I wasn't a goalkeeper in 2005, even though I was up front because I had an outfield shirt on. That was a bit of a... Had I scored, yeah. I'm not sure how they would have they yeah. would have had to register as an outfield player. But um, I scored for Watford youth team against Cambridge. Um, I think we beat them 11-0, 11-1. Uh, very windy day, you know, open field, big boom, and it bounced over the goalkeeper's head. But the fact I think we scored 11 would suggest that he wasn't the best goalkeeper to score against. And I scored in Watford's reserve game against QPR. Um, and I naturally thought that I was going to then score as a first-team first, <laughs> first, team, first team goalkeeper. And I, I've gone up a few times for the, uh, for the corners. Uh, never happened. And if you it's did, really if, frustrating. 
if you if you do score, obviously we're seeing the likes of Paul Robinson. He's he scored goals as well. Uh, we saw it recently with Liverpool last minute winner at West Brom with Allison scored as well. That was a superb header, by the way, wasn't it? Yeah. What would you possibly say to the opposing goalkeeper when the match is finished and you meet in the middle and you shake hands? What would you possibly say if you've scored against them? Well, I seem to remember Robbo's was against Watford, Ben Foster, and yeah. it took a, a wicked bounce. If something like that happened, you could go up to him and say, look, oh, so sorry. You know, I just boomed it forward and, and that's why. Asmir Begovic is another one. Um, when he scored, was it four Stoke against Bournemouth? I think. Um, the longest goal in Premier League history, if I remember yeah. rightly. Um, you can apologise for that. I think if you go up for a corner last minute, you I don't know. You Depends if he likes him or not. <laughs> you could probably get booked for uh, yeah, exactly. conduct gestures and exactly. stuff. <laughs> uh, thank you for your good question. Right, another question to David James behind the bet sportsbet.io. Uh, question from Darkative Hi, David. Uh, why were all you guys here? We go cream, cream suits in 1996 for the FA Cup final. It was so cool. And the first time I saw it, I said, Are these guys the Anfield <laughs> band? Uh, Darkovic. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have to say, had we won the final, had we won the final, we would have been the best dressed FA Cup winners in history. And I, I can imagine now in this final in 2022 that they'll be wearing some really flamboyant things because the trend would have got more and more exaggerated. Um, yeah. because we lost, we ended up being the band. and. Yeah, for me, it wasn't. It was never about the suits. It was always about trying to win a game of football, and we didn't particularly play well in that game, in that final either. So uh, the suits just became, uh, yeah, a focus, which an unnecessary focus. And I, I, I say, I still think. I mean, I, I think if Liverpool gets to the final this year, they should, in tribute, wear the cream suit. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> it might be. I'll be slightly big for them, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Doug. Right, another question for David James. Question from Duru Ron Ron. Great name. Will Man City ever stop dominating the Premier League? Who wins in 2023? Wow. Uh, The Du Ron Ron. Yes. We need to get out the way 2022, do we not? Um, because well, I don't, uh, well, who well who wins this year first of all, and who wins next year? Because actually, you know, a few weeks ago you would have said, "Yeah, Man City clear," but Liverpool have closed the gap and they've got to play each other as well. Um, so, who wins this year and who wins next year? Well, I, personally, I didn't think the the title had been done last month or however long ago when a lot of people were writing everyone off um, and almost turning it to a one horse race. I just felt that with half a season to go. That's a lot of ground that could be made up or lost. Um, you know, look at Liverpool now, game in hand. Um, they beat City. All of a sudden, everything becomes very, very interesting. So um, I, I still think, obviously, City have got the advantage because they still have to play Liverpool and not losing to Liverpool, you know, puts them in a great position, of course. But um, there, there's still a lot, of, uh, a lot of mileage, even though there's not a massive amount of games left. Uh, going into 2023, um, Recruitment is always key for every club. I think Liverpool's recruitment in the last six, seven years, um, essentially this season before Klopp, has been exceptional. Uh, and even now, when you think Diaz coming in in the, the January transfer window, um, they're already sort of marker, markers out for the signings for the end of season transfer window. 
um, and therefore they will replenish and rebuild. And even when it comes to the conversations about you know players and contracts and stuff, everything will be planned for Liverpool with regards to how they see the future potential uh, future um, lying, and that's going to put them in a in a, a very strong position. Man City, as you know, with Pep Guardiola and the depth of squad they've already got. Likewise, with youth coming through. Um, I'm not sure what their transfer targets will be. I don't think anyone usually does, even though there was a lot of talk this summer about Harry Kane. So uh, it would be far too early to suggest who's going to win. But I think if there's going to be any improvements on this season, Liverpool have already put a marker down to do that. OK. Um, I've got a question for you. OK. This might be a tough one. Which, which, which manager would you like to play for, Pep or Klopp? And why? Oh, wow. That is a good question. Thanks. I'll give myself a free bet for that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. Not, no, point one. Not point um, one in a big one, yeah. Yeah. I think... I think I would rather play for... I'm going to say Pep. And the reason I say that is because Pep isn't emotional. He seems to be, he seems very hard. And it's not that I don't like emotional people, but you, you, I like to go into work and the guys say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And it's straightforward, no confusion. And then it's easy for to do something wrong, to be told that you've done something wrong. And I think that Klopp is such a lovely bloke that you there's these elements of confusion. And sometimes you don't, quite often, I, I don't need that. I need someone to just say yes or no. Um, and I can get on with it. Tactically, again, uh, I, you couldn't separate them. I mean, they've uh, they've got two very fundamentally different squads, but are both at the top of the top of the field. I mean, top of the league, literally, and mm. potentially uh, Champions League finalists again. So uh, I think just because Pep seems to be quite, quite what's the word um, binary in his <laughs> in his approach to things. Okay, good answer. Thank you. Uh, right, another question. We'll route through these. Uh, yeah, uh, let's get as many people as we can free bets. A uh, question from Rakish. Um, now, you became the oldest player in World Cup history in 2010. Now, this is the oldest player in World Cup history to make their debut. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was in the nil-nil game against Algeria, which has gone down in folklore for the Wayne Rooney comment at the end. What are your memories of this and the tournament as a whole? This is South Africa 2010. Well, I was unaware of the uh, Rakish. I, I was unaware of that stat until after the game. Someone told me, oh, do you know, you're the oldest debutant. I was like, wow, didn't know, didn't know. And as I said to you, I like, I like breaking records. So it was kind of like, ah, oh, had I known that before the game, I'm not sure how I would have felt. But um, I didn't know I was going to play until literally an hour and a half before the kickoff. Um, Fabio Capello had a thing about, if there's, there's one memory from that tournament, it's, it's Fabio in his flip chart. Uh, in the team meeting before you got on the bus, that's when you knew you were definitely playing rather than the training sessions before it. Um, but as a tournament, I mean, I, I've got to love it because I, that was my, again, record-breaking debut in a World Cup finals. And at four, uh, 39 years old, um, it's not something that you plan. Now, mm. having said that, I know that that record was broken in the last World Cup by the Egyptian goalkeeper. Um, I was cheering on Egypt because there was the only way he was going to play is if Egypt had a non-consequential game, and that's what happened in that last group game. So I was cheering on Egypt before then so I could keep my record. But uh, I thought it was a, 
it was an interesting World Cup. There was a rise of uh, obviously German uh, German team. I know they didn't win the tournament that year, but they came, went on to become uh, dominant. Um, Ghana, who had a fantastic uh, tournament as well, um, and the usual unfortunate frustration of being an England player um, and getting getting smashed by Germany. That was not nice. Not nice uh, at all. May have been slightly different had VAR been at that game. Had- Frank Lampard's. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just over the line. I could rant about this. I'm not going to rant about this. So we'll move on. But that was that was one of the most clear goals never given in the World Cup. Uh, by the way, just very quickly, uh, talking of dates, uh, 29th of March, 1997. 27th of March, 1997. England debut. England debut. Against? Against Mexico, 2-0. Robbie Fowler, Teddy Sheringham. Yeah. Do you want another interesting fact about that game? Go on. I was a steward at Wembley for that game. No way. Well, yeah. It's the only time I've ever been a steward at a game. And it was at that game. So I, I, I didn't know at the time, but I was a steward at your debut. <laughs> Go figure that one. So you, right. your, your steward debut was at my England debut? My wow. only steward appearance, my one appearance in well, a uh, jacket was at here's, your a, here's another one for you then. That was yeah. my only England appearance at that Wembley. Uh, the, and uh, um, before it got redeveloped? Yeah, my only England um, appearance in my 20s. And the highest ever football attendance that still stands to this day at the new developed Wembley is? Ninety. At the new, at the new Wembley, the, the new highest one. attendance? Oh, I don't know, 92? No, at the, new, at the newly developed Wembley, the yeah. largest attendance to see a game of football. What, what game was it? I've got 2008 World Cup. World Cup, no. FA Cup. Oh, no, no. I, I don't it know. was. Yeah, it was Portsmouth Cardiff. That's, yeah, the largest, well, that's the largest ever attendance at a Wembley game. To see the football. And that was your, it was, do you want me to find it for you? Yeah, yeah. I wow. will find it very quickly. It was 89,000. Uh, let me try and find it very quickly. I've got it. Uh, eight, 89,874. You can check that. You played in front of the largest ever attendance for a football game at the new developed Wembley. It's not a record that's been beat since. So there you got that as well. I love that. Hey, eh? uh, right. Couple of let's rattle through these questions. Question from Viperius: Which player made you uh, groan the most as they threatened your net? There we go. Uh, Viperius, who made me? Gro- oh, I, I've already mentioned them. I think uh, Drogba and um, Cherry Henry. Um, scary. Al- Al- Alan Shearer, right back in the early yeah. days. Alan Shearer is annoying as well. Um, <laughs> he just. I mean, these are these are record-breaking goal scorers, so you know it, it kind of makes sense. But um, Alan Shearer and I remember playing at Newcastle once, saving a a, a point-blank header from uh, Les Ferdinand, tipping it onto the crossbar, and it hit Alan Shearer and went in. And Les said to me after the game, "Jamo, why didn't you just let mine in instead of letting him score?" <laughs> it was kind of like <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Alan Shearer, uh, Robbie Fowler. I played against Robbie uh, when he he signed for Leeds. Michael Owen was another one. Um, yeah. yeah, there was some. There, yeah. Some some talented, talented players. Some out. great names there, some stellar names. Thank you, Viper. Another question. We'll get through a couple more quickly. A question from, we'll say, Viv. Uh, what do you think India is lacking in their national footballing setup that we can't produce good enough players to at least perform in Asia? Good question. Uh, Vivekan Dra- Yana? Yani? Sorry, Vivek Jiani. The, yeah. yeah, sorry. Apologize for the uh, pronunciation there. It's quite simple, I think, with regards to India. Um, not enough teams. 
the the ISL is eleven teams. Um, the the I uh, the I leagues what ten teams. So you're only playing twenty games a season. If you get through to the playoffs, you add another three to that. Um, it's twenty three games in a season, and the season is a full season. It's not like it's the old short format. So if you think about a, a representative for the national team, he's getting essentially twenty three games worth of footballing experience to develop. When you think in England, they're playing forty. 40 games odd um, in a comparison or most of the other uh, domestic leagues, then they're always going to be behind in opportunity. The The other thing which is very controversial, but I think is something that needs to be looked at as well, is the possibility of dual passport holders. Um, the UK or England have got a number of Indian players. Uh, Jan Danders, the, the first one that comes to mind, who was a Liverpool who's a dual passport holder, he can't play in England and play for India under the current system. Whereas if he was allowed to play for India on a dual passport, then he would probably straight away get into the Indian national team. The Indian national team would become a stronger team with other players added from around the world. And then you'd be competing at high level in the AFC, qualifying for World Cups. And then every young Indian wannabe footballer would be looking at their national team with pride uh, and inspiration or aspiration to go and play for them against other teams in the world. At the moment, that doesn't happen. Okay, good. Good. Very good answer. Thank you. We've got one more question. Let's go. Uh, question from Chicken Tikka Mo Salah. <laughs> I mean, enough said, isn't there? Uh, what What was it like playing and living in Iceland? Ah, oh, Chicken Tikka Mo Salah. What a question. Um, this is when you played for IBV, wasn't it? IBV, yes. It's 2013. Uh, my old teammate, Herman, who scored in that 7-4 uh, game against... Uh, Herman Ryderson. Herman Ryderson, yeah, against yeah. Uh, Reading. And also, I think I broke his cheekbone in the FA Cup final in 2008. Something like that. Um, yeah, yeah Her Herman just said to me, come out to Iceland, you're going to be my assistant. Now, when I talk about India, um, and I love India, I, I equally love Iceland. I was there for six months and... Uh, I said to him, how many fans do you get to games? He said, ah, oh, three or 4,000. I'm thinking, okay, well, it's Iceland. It's a small uh, small population, 350,000. I think there's more people on a Mumbai metro uh, than there are populations of Iceland. So, essentially, we went out there. Um, 3,500 was actually 3,500. Um, we we qualified. We had qualified for the Europa League playoffs, so to, to for qualification for the Europa League at the time. And we played Red Star Belgrade, who had won the European Cup in the 90s. So we played Red Star Belgrade away at the Maracanã in um, in Belgrade. And there was 35,000 people there. So our team had played arguably in the biggest um, attendance of an Icelandic uh, club match. Uh, it was phenomenal. Um, I loved living there. It was cold. The highest temperature was 10 degrees. In that six months, it was the coldest winter in, in 20, 30 years, something like that, or coldest summer. Um, and again, I fell in love with the country. Um, mm. Like like Malayalam, struggled with the language, I have to say. But um, I knew how to say kuklinga, which is uh, chicken. So we had kuklinga wingers, which is chicken wings. That's what we ate most of the time. <laughs> say that again for me, please. Kuklinga wingers. It's, it's a bit, it's a take on uh, chicken tikka masala. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. Uh, thank you, Ticket and Ticket Mo Salah. Uh, everybody who's had a question asked, we'll win 0.1 million Bitcoin free bet. Uh, I think, I mean, uh, uh, maybe at the end of this, we'll find out who, who has been just to be the best uh, question to win a 0.5 million Bitcoin free bet. That information to come. But right now, 
It's time to see who has won as we play David's Picks. So this is where we asked you before this chat on Behind the Bet, we asked you uh, three questions and we asked people uh, on the clubhouse section of sportsbet.io to try and correctly predict at least two of the three answers you're going to give. If you manage to do so, you will win a 0.25 million Bitcoin free bet. We'll come to some of the uh, winners later on, but let's uh, find out the answer to question one, first of all. Uh, what do you consider to be your greatest moment in an England shirt? Uh, your England debut in 1997, which was also, as we've established, my steward debut. Uh, World Cup debut in South Africa. Uh, Euro 2004 starting number one. Or Switzerland 2008, which was Fabio Capello's first game in charge, where he then put you back as number one uh, in the England ranking to be the goalkeeper going forward. Uh, what was your answer? There it is. Number two, World Cup debut in South Africa. Yeah, which we've already spoken it's, about. It was close. Yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, because one thing I've said all along with like, was my most important game in my career and all that, it was always a debut. Because without the first one, you never get the others. And uh, similar for, for 97, but as I spoke about, about it earlier, um, you know, to be 39 years old, to make a debut in South Africa... It was, you can dream about playing the game, but you also have dreams when you are playing the game. And that was yeah. something that I just, well, I, I never thought was going to happen. What do you remember from that nil-nil very quickly with Algeria and the fact that it was a game that was infamous for not a great deal, with the greatest respect, going on on the pitch? <laughs> Tactically, because um, the Algeria left-back was uh, uh, Belhaj. Um, and Belhaj was my teammate at Portsmouth. Mm. And he was rapid, absolutely rapid. Nadir Belhaj's name. And he marked Aaron Lennon. And before that, Aaron Lennon was causing problems for everyone because he was rapid. And Belhaj, I don't think, if they, if he had a marker on the two of them, if it was more than five yards apart any time in that 90 minutes, then uh, I'm surprised because he just did a man-to-man marking job and basically stopped us from doing anything. That's all I can remember from the game. It was like, come on. Um, and then I saw Hassan. I actually swapped shirts with Hassan Yabder after the game. Right. Because he, he's, he's my teammate. Yeah, because he was my yeah. teammate at Portsmouth as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, so question, uh, the answer was number two for the first question. Second question, uh, David's picks. Who was your most important soccer influence? Uh, Fabio Capello, England manager, of course. Uh, Ray Graydon, who was the youth team boss at Watford, under whom you won the FA Youth Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Keith Woff, who is a veteran goalkeeper, and you were were you his understudy when you first played at Watford? He was the number one at Vicarage Road. No, he was my understudy. He was your understudy. That's right. He was your understudy. So you were the youngster who came in and took the number one spot, and he was your understudy. That's right. Uh, and Bruce Grobelar, who was the goalkeeper at Liverpool when he signed, and your answer is number four, Bruce Grobelar. Why, Bruce? <laughs> I'll tell you another little, I, I, I tell you what, you must love my stories. Um, so when I was a Luton Town fan, same time as, uh, as <laughs> upsetting my uh, my future Watford teammates, I went to see Luton versus Liverpool. Um, Bruce Grobler was in goal for Liverpool and there was a corner taken and he ran to the penalty spot and caught the corner. And I was like, what have I just seen? 
wow, that was amazing. And because I was a high jumper, I, I kind of, everything about it was was wonderful. So I just copied it. Uh, and then I, every time I saw Bruce Grobler, everything he did, it was kind of like, okay, I can do that. He, most athletic goalkeeper I'd seen ever. Um, so he became, a, I want to say a hero. Yeah. Um, but influential at the same time, because I was trying to copy what he was doing. And then when I signed for Liverpool, um, Bruce Grobler was number one. And here's another story for you. That first live game on Sky, Bruce was supposed to play. But he decided to play for Zimbabwe in an international match and missed the first game of the season. Wow. And there you are. You were part of, the, part of footballing history with the uh, game away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so number four was the answer to question two of David's picks. Let's go to the third question of who is your favourite artist. Now, is it number one, Felix Darley? Um, I've done my research on this. American mm. illustrator. Uh, he did the first fully illustrated edition of Rip Van Winkle. Do you know that? Of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, Caravaggio, uh, Italian painter um, in the, I think it's 15th century. You got Michelangelo, of course, of the Sistine Chapel and Roy Lichtenstein, pop art painter, sculptor, whose masterpiece sold a few years ago for $165 million. Nice when you can get it. Uh, your answer is number four. Uh, he was the uh, specialist subject on the celebrity mastermind that we started the show with. Um, why Roy, uh, Roy Lichtenstein? Well, it could have been uh, Michelangelo Caravaggio. This guy was absolutely amazing. Uh, or Michelangelo, who equally was amazing. I actually don't know anything about Felix, uh, Felix Darley. I have to say we I do just, now. I do now, yeah. Um, Roy Lichtenstein. Uh, well, I, I got into uh, a bit of pop art. Uh, when I was living in uh, in on the Wirral uh, near Liverpool, I actually because he's famous for Ben Day dots, uh, Benjamin Day dots, which are the basically little dots that make up his pictures. So I did a bathroom with dots and then painted on a Roy Lichtenstein uh, Roy Lichtenstein scene in the bathroom. Um, I've done sort of mock up pop art stuff, so I'm just fascinated by him. Uh, I, I thought I knew loads about him, then said that I'd go on Mastermind, realised I didn't know much about him because I started doing more study. Um, anyone who watches Mastermind, yeah, anyway. But he, um, yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, he, he was essentially, and here's another story, just sorry. So Andy Warhol and Roy Lichtenstein basically went to the same agent. And the agent didn't like Andy Warhol's cartoon sort of pop arty stuff because he liked Roy Lichtenstein's Ben Day Dots. That's the reason that uh, Roy Lichtenstein got his chance. Just They were essentially doing the same thing. Yeah. Have you got any of his artwork in your house? No, I, I do my own art. Yeah. So just your own art in your house. You don't have anybody else's. It's just your own. Yeah, I've got loads. I just, yeah, and I, I've, <laughs> I've got stuff all over the place. Oh, actually, <laughs> what, what, right, one sec, one sec. All right, okay. Wow. Is that's that... A, that's Herman. Oh, is it Herman Hermideson? With yeah, a non-broken cheekbone? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Does he know Sorry. he's done that? Yeah. Yeah? yeah? I'll take it to him next time I go to Iceland. Have you, have you, before we move on, have you painted any former colleagues, footballers, teammates? I've done, I've, I'm trying to think what I've got here. I've sketched loads. Um, I did a, my first 
I did a diary, sorry, diary, and a calendar when I was at Watford. Uh, I've sketched loads of Liverpool players, some Man United players as well. I've, uh, yeah, I've got them somewhere. I thought, honestly, when he showed it up initially, I thought it was Keith Flint from the Prodigy. That's what I thought it was initially. Do you know, I've uh, done yeah. one of him as well somewhere. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you. So they were David's picks. Let's find out who's won the 0.25 million Bitcoin free bet. We'll get the list of winners on. There we go. Uh, Baggers, Buddy, Viperius, who had a question asked as well. Uh, Zadrum, uh, World 7, well done. Uh, a Cab 1910, uh, Lordly as well. Um, Trato Man. Um, so well done. You got two, at least two out of three. In fact, everybody got two out of three by the looks of things. I don't think we had anybody who got three out of three, which I think is a first for behind the bet. So that is uh, David's pick. Uh, also, just to quickly let you know that the uh, person who's won the 0.5 million Bitcoin free bet for the best question is Sojourna, uh, who asked a question about Indian football at the start. So well done. Uh, so let's move on to behind the cause. Uh, so this is where we are going to donate 500 euros to a cause uh, of uh, David's choice. Now, I know that you created the David James Foundation. You've done a lot for charity in the past. Um, but when you realized and found out that sportsbet.io, based in Tallinn in Estonia, where I am right now, um, you asked for the 500 euros to be donated to the uh, International Women's Club of Tallinn, who provide educational supplies, toiletries, hot food, and warm clothing for women and children in Estonia. So um, that's uh, that's where the, the the money's going. So thank you. So you, I mean, I'm sure they'll they'll hugely appreciate that. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I, I just the thing is, I could have, and there's plenty of charities, especially at this moment. There's plenty of charities that could uh, could do with some help, but. You're based in Tallinn, and I want Tallinn to obviously use that money to uh, uh, for a better good. And I'm sure they will. Looking up on everything they do, they've been doing a fantastic job, and long, long may that continue. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It will be great to receive, no doubt about it. Uh, mate, I want to say thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I could go on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> I really could. Um, so, David James, I want to thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me uh, on Behind the Bet. Um, thanks to everyone for asking the questions and gamble safely. Exactly that. Uh, Behind the Bet with David James at sportsbet.io. Uh, so thank you for watching this edition of Behind the Bet. Stay tuned to sportsbet.io for the next Behind the Bet where I can announce that it will be with the former England right arm off spinner, Graham Swan. Uh, there it is. If you can just, uh, we're in the way. So it'll be at some point. We got in the way there, David. We got in the way. Uh, it will pop. We're goalkeeper. We get, yeah, well, that's, do you know what? I'm, you don't know this either. I was a goalkeeper when I played football. There you go. I was a goalkeeper when I played football as well. So I'm with you. Not to your standard, obviously. Uh, but anyway, Graeme Swan, behind the bet with Graeme Swan. It's on Friday, the 1st of April. Uh, keep checking the behind the bet section of uh, Clubhouse for more details. But until next time, for myself and David, take care. Take care.